Welcome to the See the Upside podcast. I'm Nina, your podcast host. On the show, we dive deep into all the ways to uplevel your life with a focus on positivity and growth. Interviews with industry experts and innovators in the areas of wellness, spirituality, relationships, personal growth, and more shed light on all of the best practices. We talk about how to overcome obstacles, find positivity, and create and live an authentic life you love. Every challenge is an opportunity for expansion. That's what I like to call seeing the upside. Whatever challenges you've been through, be it divorce or otherwise, you deserve to discover and live your very best life. We're here to help you find it. Thanks so much for joining the conversation, and I really hope you enjoy the show. You can follow us on Instagram at c.theupside, on Facebook at c.theupside, and visit our website at c.theupside.com. Today, we have Roy Biancolana on the show. Roy is a certified relationship coach who has also navigated divorce himself In fact, it was through his own experiences that he became inspired to dive deep and become an expert in the area of how to do relationships better. Roy is the host of the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. He's also the author of three number one best-selling books. Most recently, his book entitled Relationship Bootcamp, Hardcore Training for Life, love, and the pursuit of intimacy. For the past 15 years, Roy's been working with his single clients, helping them to attract healthy, sustainable, intimate relationships. His experience has taught him that getting in relationship shape is the key to creating the lasting love we all want. Roy offers e-courses, boot camps, one-on-one coaching, and of course, his books are always a great way to start. I'm excited to be speaking with Roy today and can't wait to learn more about this relationship boot camp. Hi, Roy. Welcome to the show. So excited to have you here today. Well, thanks for having me. I, I definitely look forward to, to our discussion and see what comes. Yeah, I know. Well, let's start with your story because I think mm. that kind of explains yeah. why you're an expert and how you yeah. got here and, you know, is kind of part of your journey. Right, right. Yes, my career, what I feel is my calling is is never something that I set out to do or ever dreamed of doing. It never even occurred to me. It sort of came in through the back door, you could say, because my professional life for most of my life has been pretty successful, been okay. My personal life has been a disaster. And so I was married for like 19 years and that relationship really, it really kind of became a platonic co-parenting functional relationship, but there, it was more like we were brotherly and sisterly than man and mm-hmm. woman. Right. And so that didn't work for us. And so I initiated a, a divorce in that. And then, you know, I did the brilliant thing of immediately rebounding into another relationship. <laughs> and the word rebound means sort of a big change of direction. And so that's what I created uh, a very sexually oriented relationship. So I I went from nothing to plenty and was with that one for two and a half years. We actually got engaged and six and a half, six months before the wedding, she broke it off with me and that destroyed me way more pain than, than my divorce. And 
I went into what I consider to be like a year-long midlife crisis where I couldn't sleep. I had heart palpitations. I had obsessive thinking. I was a lousy father at that time. I, my career suffered. I was a mess. And so I did another brilliant thing. I often joke with my clients, if you just do the opposite of everything I did, you'll be fine. <laughs> so after that second sort of major breakup to deal with my pain, I did the only thing I really knew how to do at the time. And I just joined four different dating sites, just hoping to meet a new woman to help me forget about my my ex-fiance, right? And so you can imagine the amount of drama that I experienced there because I thought that I was emotionally available to someone new, but I wasn't. I was still so hung up and in so much pain. And looking back, I was using these new women I met online to just help me forget about the last one. And so I really wasn't there. And that just led to so much confusion and drama and so forth. So right there are two genius mistakes that I made rebounding and never doing any introspection on myself and just jumping into a new relationship. And then, you know, not knowing how to deal with my pain, you know, not being with those feelings and processing that, but simply looking for a new woman to help me forget the last one. So right in the middle of that was a friend of mine suggested that maybe I needed to talk to someone. <laughs> Right. Because here's really the, the the funniest part of the entire story. And it really does lead to the, I think the primary shift. If you, if we want to change the trajectory of our love lives, it starts with this primary shift. And that is really up until this time, I really thought that my love life sucked because I just hadn't found the right woman yet. Okay. It was them right? My ex-wife, all this and that, all my ex-fiance, all this and that, all you crazy women online. It never occurred to me that I was the common denominator in all of the pictures. It never occurred to me that maybe it was me, or maybe at least I had a huge part that I was missing things about myself, that I wasn't noticing some blind spots, some, you know, limiting beliefs, maybe how my childhood conditioning was affecting my ability to connect. Maybe I had some relationship personas. It, it never occurred to me that it, that it might be me. <laughs> so when I did hire a coach, that was the first conversation. She would not allow me to talk about my exes and just point the finger. She said, oh, no, no, we ain't going anywhere here until you decide you want to look in the mirror, until you want to decide to take responsibility for what you were experiencing and creating. Yeah. And, you know, she made it clear that, you know, it's like, I'm not saying your, your, your ex-wife and your ex-fiance and other women don't have issues. They're human. They have issues. It's just that you have to recognize that without your issues, things could never have gone as they went. Okay. So the first, and I made that shift. I, I don't really know how, but I, I, maybe I was just in enough pain to quit pointing the finger and actually look in the mirror, but right. You reach a first... rock bottom where you have no yes. alternative and you're desperate yes. and you just finally say, okay, fine. I'll do the work. Right? Yes. There is a rock bottom in all sorts of areas of life, not just yeah. addiction. Um, yeah. And they really are, they're gifts from God. 
Yeah. You know, when you really hit that place where you sort of open up and say, I'm lost, I'm what am I doing? I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to open up to new perspectives. That usually is the turning point. Yeah. And so I could just tell the, the viewers and the listeners, it's so easy when you're in pain and you've had difficult relationships and disappointments and drama and deception and lying and ghosting and all the crap that goes on. It's so easy to just point the finger and think that it's them and I'm not meeting the right people. It's really hard on the ego to turn it around and say, why am I attracting them? What am I doing to participate in these patterns? How am I responsible for my own love life experience? So that's really hard to do. But if you never do that, if you stay in the place of it was my ex and it was them and it's the online dating and it's all of that, and you keep the attention focused out there instead of in here, you're going to end up in what I, what I've coined relationship groundhog day syndrome. <laughs> you remember Bill Murray in the movie the same yeah. day over and over and over again. Yeah. If you never look here and make changes here. Yeah. It's the stuff going on inside of you that is attracting these dynamics. So you can find a new partner, but you're going to kind of end up in the same relationship in the same problems and pain and patterns over and over again, which is what I was doing until I sort of decided to come back here and look at what was going on inside of me. So that if anybody makes that shift from away from blame to focusing on themselves, you just took 90% of the journey to changing the whole trajectory of your love life. But like you said, it's really hard to do. It's it's painful. It's scary. It's yeah. it's hard. It's just really yeah. hard. And sometimes you do have to hit those rock bottom invitation yeah. moments where yeah. there's no other alternative but to right. do that. Yeah, it's it's really hard on a certain part of you uh, on the ego. The ego does not want to take ownership. The ego wants to protect itself. It wants to defend itself. It it wants to deflect any responsibility, right? So to that part of you, yes, it's really hard. And sometimes you need to let the ego get kicked in the, you know, the balls every once in a while to sort of (laughs) wake you up. But to the part of you that loves truth, the part of you that is beyond ego that really wants to know what's really going on. What's the truth? That part of you is really open to noticing and seeing the parts of you that are sort of unconscious, the parts parts of you that you're not aware that you're doing. And so your pain can become a real portal to profound spiritual growth, real, what I call self-awareness, like real you know, like turn the light on and you begin to see yours. Like, no wonder why I keep attracting emotionally unavailable men or no wonder why I keep experiencing the relationship that starts off fast and then fizzles. No wonder why I keep attracting narcissists or wounded soldiers or whatever the dynamic might be. You, you, you start to see it. And that is really a pretty exciting thing. Even though it's painful to the ego, when you start to wake up um, and start to see these things, it, it brings so much hope. See, because when you're pointing a finger, you're you're disempowering yourself. Because if it's them, 
How are you going to change? Right. Your love life is hopeless. And so maybe just get lucky and happen to find some decent person. But if you recognize that, no, you're kind of the author of your experience on some unconscious level, it's like, well, if I did that, well, then I could do this. Right. If I've written, right. Right. If I've written my movie script to be a horribly depressing, you know, not very romantic comedy, (laughs) then I could rewrite the script and make it a really happy ending romantic comedy. So it it sort of empowers you when you have the guts to look in the mirror and start to do your work. So where, what happened to you after that, after you did the work? Well, that's why I became a coach is because the, the things I did with my coach and I worked with her for two years, which is an enormous amount of time. I mean, my coaching program is four months. If I can't help you transform your life in four months, then I'm the wrong coach. Okay. But I was so screwed up that, that I spent about two years with my coach. And, you know, when she said, we're going to look at you, I was skeptical about what am I doing to do this? It's the women. It, it turned out to be true that it really was a lot of stuff that I was doing. And when I faced that stuff and worked on the kinds of things that were creating these horrible drama-filled experiences, yeah. it, it made a total difference to where, you know, very, pretty, very quickly after I started with, with, working with my coach, I was able to meet and fall in love with an amazing woman. I've been together now 14 years. Okay. So- I'm a coach now because I want to do for other people what my coach did for me. Yeah. Right. I want to sort of pass it forward, pay it forward. She held my feet to the fire about looking at myself and doing my work. And I, my love life is better now. And I didn't get lucky. It wasn't like I met the right girl and it wasn't like uh, God just sort of blessed me. So no, I, I followed a certain process. I asked myself, yeah. yeah, I asked certain questions and I looked in certain places and I did a certain kind of training, you could say, and that is transferable. So I tell people, if you do the work that I did, if you look in the places and ask the questions that I did, you can have the same results I got. It, it wasn't just special to me. And yeah. so that's why I'm a coach is I just, I just feel like I'm one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. That's well, and we'll way get into some of those tangible tools, which you include, we'll give, you know, kind of an idea of what some of those things look like. I mm-hmm. do want to back up for a minute. One thing that you mentioned was you thought you were emotionally available when you started dating, but you later realized you weren't. How does someone know if they're emotionally available? And how do you know if someone else is emotionally available? I think that's a really difficult thing to gauge unless you're consciously aware of that and thinking about that when you go into dating or a relationship. Yes. Determining your own emotional availability is kind of asking yourself or noticing why you're, why you're dating and why you're doing what you're doing. Right. And if it's, if it's like mine was coming from a result of pain and I was, I was hurting, I was lonely. I felt, I felt needy. I felt sort of isolated. I remember when my ex fiance broke up with me, the image that I had was like being a, a helium balloon at a state fair that got cut loose and was just floating off into the atmosphere. Right. 
I, I didn't feel any sense of grounding, any sense of connection without a girlfriend, without, because I had spent, you know, from the age of 16 to 46, I was never, ever spent a day being single. You know, they, they all overlapped. Okay. I'll admit it. They, they did. <laughs> so, so one of the ways, you know, you're not available is, is when you're sort of seeking a relationship to heal something within you or to fix something. In other words, I'm not here because I, I want to give something to a person and I'm looking for like a, a, a real fun and healthy connection. I'm here because I'm needing something from you. So I'm not available to you because I'm, I'm lost in my pain or in my loneliness and sort of like that. And so in a sense, you're, you're seeing a partner as like an Advil to your pain, which makes you not really available to connect in a meaningful, healthy way because you're, you're like using a drug. You know what I mean? He said, that was one of my realizations is that I was a relationship addict. Meaning when I was finally single, I was having like, as my coach said, just like, you're having withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> it's like, it's like women for you, they were a drink with legs. <laughs> like, and that, that resonated so true. It, it, it was right. So my lack of being available was tied to my pain and, yeah. and, and sort of the question, Roy, why are you seeking a relationship? Yeah. And I think when you're healthy and you're emotionally available, you're seeking kind of the icing on the cake. You're not looking for the cake mm -hmm. to fill your empty heart. Correct. You're looking for someone to just make you even better, but you're okay right. on your own too. Right. And I've gone through those stages myself yeah. where what right. you're talking about looking for a relationship because you don't want to feel something because you don't want to feel pain. You don't want to feel right. alone. You don't want to feel the hard things. And right. obviously that's a, not a good way to right. start off in a relationship. Right. Yeah. See, so right there, we're broadening the definition of what it means to be emotionally unavailable. And this mm -hmm. is important for people to kind of get because the way you just described it, and I agree with it a hundred percent, you know, we, we, we have some sort of not okay feeling inside of us, call it loneliness, or I'm unlovable or unwanted or, you know, whatever it might be. And we do seek out a partner to complete us or fill us or fix a problem or fill a void, right? Like, just like you were saying, when you're doing that, you're, you're not really available for a healthy connection because you're in that seeking needy place. So therefore, almost everyone is emotionally unavailable because that that's really what's going on for most people until they really do some work on that and begin to feel that I am whole and complete unto myself, that I do not need a relationship or do not expect it to do anything for me. I'm already happy. I'm already, I feel connected to life. There is no loneliness. There is, there is no emptiness, right? I'm, I'm whole and complete. And so if I meet someone, great. If I don't meet someone, great. It, it makes no difference because I'm not expecting this partner to give me something that I'm missing because I'm not missing something. I think that's so that a, the Very expecting. few people yeah. are at that place. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody's on, right? Most people think emotional unavailability is a, a man or a woman who's afraid of commitment. Yeah, true. But there are deeper levels of these kind of things. And I was certainly someone we can get into this, I suppose, 
because of my mommy issues, I was certainly someone who was looking for the attention and the affection of a beautiful woman to make me sort of feel like a man, to sort of kind of heal me in some ways, to, to yeah, to make me feel desirable. I would, I would yeah. describe when I was back in the, you know, if, it, if I had to describe what was my inner feeling, what I would sometimes I call my, I ask my clients, what's the real reason you want a relationship? <laughs> there's a surface reason. And then there's a real reason. My real reason was I felt undesirable. Okay. So I needed to find a woman to want me and to want to have sex with me. Cause that's how I would, that's how I define being desirable, which was ridiculous, but it was the way I, where I was. So yeah, these are the kinds of things that, well, that's, it's what's operating in us humans when we're, we're sort of left to ourselves. And the dangerous part about this is when we have these, when we feel like we're seeking a relationship to complete us, we will always attract someone doing the same thing, right? The law of attraction has got so much garbage surrounding it. All it really means is like attracts like. Birds yeah. of a feather flock together. You would, you never attract someone who's healthier than you are. It's impossible. So if I'm in a place where I feel undesirable or lonely and I'm looking for a woman's love and attention to kind of complete me or to fill that void, then it has to be true that she is looking for me to fulfill something in her. And that's what's called codependence. Yeah. I'm depending on your love to make me feel alive. You're depending on my love to make you feel alive. And but it's that unsustainable is the problem, right? And it's unhealthy. Not, but it's not. Yeah. Right. Because my phrase on that is life partners make lousy life sources. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's like we're looking to source our aliveness, whatever word you want to give it, from a relationship. We actually think the purpose of a relationship is to make us happy or to make us feel wanted or to make us feel alive. It will never do that for you consistently or reliably. So that's one of the biggest problems in relationships is we're expecting it to do something it's not designed to do. He's just a guy. She's just a woman, right? They're not God. They, nobody on the outside of you can fix something on the inside of you. Michael yeah. Singer, my favorite spiritual teacher, one time he said, you know, if I'm hungry and you eat a sandwich, I don't feel full. Ooh, I right? like that. Like, Right. There's nothing outside of you that if they do something, it's actually going to fix something in here. Right. And so that was why I had so much drama. I was looking to my ex-wife to make me feel like a man. Well, she wasn't really that all that interested in sex. And we sort of co-created that together. But but I just felt sort of worthless and undesirable. So then, of course, I found a woman that wanted to have sex all the time. And but then there was other issues and we can get into that. But. There you well, go. <laughs> yeah, I think there are two points there. One that I want to make is that sometimes when you come out of a relationship that is unraveling or not working anymore, I think often you that rebound that you were talking about, we attract and go after what we were starving for. And sometimes it's subconscious. Sometimes we don't even realize it until way, way, way down the road after the fact when we have clarity and can look back. But I think that's a real danger. And I would advise anybody coming out of a very long-term serious relationship or a marriage 
if you can, and it doesn't all life doesn't always work the way we plan, give yourself some space to peel back those layers. And as you were talking about, look at your unhealthy areas in your relationship. What are you seeking? What don't you have filled up inside of you? And sometimes, like you said, it takes two years of therapy and work and opening up and peeling one layer after another to realize this was something that goes way, way back to when you were really little. And to heal that pattern, you need to even know that it's there. But sometimes it's it's very complicated. It's very deep. And it does yeah. take time and reflection and conversation and painful truths to, to realize that and get there. But I do think it's, it's very important to shifting your, your narrative and creating a new one and getting on that healthy track of, of creating a relationship that makes you better and brings out the best in you. Yeah. Preach it. I mean, I give every single word. And that's why the the divorce rate on a second marriage is way higher than the divorce rate on first marriages. Because too many of us just think, well, it was my ex. And then they jump in a new relationship and they bring their stuff with them and they recreate the same things. So yeah, ideally we would go through a breakup and we would step aside. We would really do some introspection. We would really do some How can I take responsibility for what happened? What can I learn? How can I grow? How can I, how can I ensure I'm a better person and better prepared for the next relationship because of that one? That would be what we would all, you know, everybody agrees we should do that. But sometimes, and I don't think they make mistakes. I don't even look at the things I did as like mistakes. It was all part of my journey. They were choices I was making. I look back. It's the only choice I could have made. I didn't have any deeper level of understanding at the time. I I didn't see the things that I just said in my own life. And so I just jumped into a new relationship and made some pain. But I just view it all as, you know, because what is it like? See the upside, right? Yeah. The name of your podcast, right? Yeah. I just see that everything I did as nutty as it was, it it was the only thing I knew how to do at the time, but the upside is I wouldn't be here without it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I wouldn't have become a coach without making those mistakes. I wouldn't have the marriage I do now. I, I wouldn't have the career I do now. Right. So I look at, there are no mistakes. There's, there's just painful opportunities to learn. <laughs> right. So, You're yeah. right. And sometimes we have to go through those yeah. difficult moments to get the lesson and the clarity. And I think in certain cases, it can't come any other way. And I agree with you hundred percent. I would not change a thing. And, you know, I went through a lot of really, really difficult things. And if someone said, you know, you can wipe that slate clean and not have to go through that, I, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do it because I'm here. And it was a huge, huge awakening for me. And as you said, I think that is a gift, an opportunity, an invitation that sometimes can't come in any other way. It has to be packaged in some pain to get to that high level of understanding. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, it's exactly right. And everyone is on their journey and 
you know, my coach was there and available for years. But as the old Buddhist saying says, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, right? I just got to a point where, yeah, I need to talk to someone and everybody's on their journey and doing their things and your relationship experiences. And someday it might be like, I'm ready to kind of work on myself in a deep way. And then you call me. That's so good. Well, let's talk a little bit about your programs, maybe starting with the relationship fitness level, because I think that's kind of the foundation of, of most of what you do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's, it's sort of all tied together. It it's, it's in this, let me give, let me give you the framework for this. Okay. So as an analogy, and this really describes, I think the biggest mistake people make as an analogy, imagine the viewer listener here that you want to be successful in a triathlon. Okay. You just want to really do really well. And then imagine I'm a triathlon coach, which not true. Bike can run that far. God. Right. But no, <laughs> you want to do well in a triathlon. I've won the Ironman and now, you know, I'm you know experienced and I'm retired now. And now I coach other people on how to be successful. So we start working together and we sit down and you start asking me questions about how to survive in the water in the beginning, because it's a frenzy. And how do you make the transition from the water, you know, to the bike and the bike to the marathon. And then you're out there all day. So how much do you eat? What do you eat? How much water? When, right. You're asking me all these questions and it dawns on me. You're asking me questions about race day. You're asking me strategy questions on what to do on the day of the race. And as a triathlon coach and experience, I'm like, those, those are good questions. I mean, they're, they're important questions. That's not what you should be asking me about. You should be asking me about how do I get in shape for something like this, right? Because you can have the best race day strategy in the world. And if you're 50 pounds overweight, you're not going to go 50 yards in the water. You're, you're never going to go the distance. So it's way more important to focus on your fitness than it is on the strategy of the race. But most of my clients come to me and they start, they start in saying, Roy, where do I go to meet someone? How do I approach them? How do I get them to approach me? What do I say? How do I flirt? Right? I'm like, oh, you're asking me race day questions. <laughs> you're, you're asking me on what to do when you're on the starting line, when you're face to face with someone. Now, those are important questions valid. And I do eventually get to those with my clients, but that's not what you should be asking me. You should be asking me, how do I get in shape so that when I do meet this person, I can go the distance, right? Because it's, I have just found it's our relationship fitness level (laughs) that either enables us to be strong enough and present enough and aware enough and skilled enough to make a relationship with another human being work at a, at a very high level. That's what's really important. It's like, if you focus on that, I somewhat think that the rest of it takes care of itself. Right. So I really try to, I'm, I'm a preparation coach. Like I'm a trainer. I don't talk that much about how to meet someone. I'm talking about, let's just make sure that you are ready for something real Whenever the universe decides to have you cross purposes, you, you bump into someone like the old Reese's peanut butter 
uh, cup commercial, right? Guys walking with chocolate, that. she's walking, yeah. they bump into each other. Oh, we're a great fit, right? Well, sometimes <laughs> it happens that way. How, you know, I met my wife at a personal growth conference. I just sat down next to the prettiest girl in the room. And 18 months later, we got married, right? But that was two years after I did my work. And I found out she had just spent, I think, three years with a therapist because she's more messed up than me. <laughs> uh. <laughs> she's not listening to this. So, but we had, we had done our fitness work and then we bumped into each other and we were able to really make a healthy connection because both of us had our stories of drama and, you know, she went through a divorce and I, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's the, the message I get in shape, work on yourself. And so in my newest book, Relationship Bootcamp, I just kind of use the fitness metaphor to make it a little bit more of an interesting way it's to go about. relatable and tangible. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's understandable. Right. Just like you would go to the gym and do a hardcore six-week fitness program and kick your butt you know, and just take yourself to a whole new level, you can do that with your love life. You, you can go on a hardcore yeah. training and kick your butt and get yourself really in the best relationship shape of your life. And then the sky's the limit. So in the book, I've identified what I call seven relationship muscles. Okay. Just to keep the metaphor going, love seven it. muscles, there's seven, seven areas of our lives that we need to be pretty skilled and we need to be pretty strong in those areas if we're going to make a relationship really work. And, and I should say, this is not about trying to create a mediocre relationship. Like it, it, like if all you want is to find someone where you tolerate each other and don't kill each other, anybody can do that. Okay. I'm talking about creating a relationship with mutual support and creativity and chemistry and compatibility and sex and play and fun and spiritual it's an 11. Death. like, yeah, it's the, an 11. like the really good stuff. Right. Yeah. That you got to be in shape. What I for. Want. Anybody yeah. can, can tolerate someone for 30 years if they want to. Right. I mean, but we're talking about the highest level and that means really doing that work and getting those muscles in shape. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I would say too, part of the training, going back to that analogy that I've found having, you know, been single for the last couple of years is part of your training is becoming aware when you're, when you're out there dating, doing your runs, you know, back to that analogy and paying attention to when you're interacting with people on dates and you're in the process of doing all this work, I think it's good to be dating because it helps you become aware of where you are and where you might need to go back to the drawing board and do a little bit more work and understand yeah. yourself a little bit better and get more clarity about what, where you might need to mm. spend some time. So right. I think you can learn in the process as well. Yes. And then I love that concept of, of meeting someone and having that connection, which I think you just don't know where and when that's going to happen. I get a lot of right. 
complaints about online dating. And yeah. I know it's, it's not like how I envisioned I would meet someone, but why mm-hmm. couldn't it happen that way? Sure. And I well, think yeah. you just need to kind of drop all expectation and say, I could meet someone at Trader Joe's, or I could meet someone at a personal growth concert, or it could be online dating, could be through friends. Right. You just don't know. You just have right. to be ready and open. You have and, to be ready. That's yeah. the message, right? Yes. Make sure you're ready. What if what if life puts an amazing person in your path and you screw it up because you've got baggage from your past or something's going on inside of you that's been sabotaging you your whole life and you haven't identified it? It's like, oh man, I maybe I ruined a chance at something wonderful. So yeah, be ready. And I I, I like that. That's a good discussion to have is when should you step away from dating and when should you actually be dating? And the only time really that I encourage any of my clients to step away from dating is when they are in the grief phase of a, of an ending relationship when they're in yes. so much pain it's like you you give the space for that to move through you to to do some learning you're like you're really not ready to be with someone else otherwise you do what i did which you're just covering your pain with a new person and and that's eventually going to come out we hear so many stories of you know you get involved with someone who has been married for 20 years and they're, they got divorced last week or something, or they're separated and you hit it off and everything's great. And then six months into the relationship, they say, you know, I'm, I'm really not ready for this. Right. Because they need, they need some time. Right. And your heart is broken. So I will tell people if they're in pain and they're in a grieving phase, take some time away. Otherwise, just like you said, get out there. It's like, it's like in like I use I used to be a professional golfer way back in my my life. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah, know that. The stuff you see on TV and stuff I did all that stuff. Yeah. And so it's like everybody's really good on the driving range, you know, you can hit the ball, hit the ball, hit the ball, hit the ball. Yeah. Let's go on the golf course where every shot counts. And then you see how you really play. <laughs> right? right? So we're all pretty enlightened when we're reading, you know, we're reading my book and you know, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Let's take let's journaling, take the, meditating. Right. Yeah. Take the, take the game on the course. And then yes. you get feedback. It's like, oh, okay. Well, I am doing a lot better in some of these areas. Like these muscles are pretty strong. Oh boy, I got exposed here. <laughs> I need to go back and do some work here. So normally I tell people, live your life. I mean, just be out there. If if the if, if the universe puts you with someone, they must be there to teach you something. Maybe yes. to teach you, you need Love more work, that. maybe not. Right. So there's no need to try to manipulate your whole life. You know, it's just, if you're grieving and you're really in pain, just take a break for a while and feel that through, but otherwise let life be as it is. But in the process, you're doing your work and you're getting your muscles strong. And then you're getting feedback from the people you're dating and the way the relationships go as to whether you, you still need to focus on something. Or maybe something new comes into your awareness. Like I'm not very good at communicating in a in a really healthy way. So um, yeah, I that that's that's kind of where I go with that. Well, I want to touch on that topic of grieving and feeling the pain because I think that is a very underrated aspect of personal growth and self awareness that we've kind of 
I don't know if it's cultural or just human nature that we try to avoid pain, but pain is really teaching us something. It's showing us what's important to us, where we need to grow and that something, you know, meant something. So I think it's, it's important to honor our pain and sit with it and feel it. Otherwise, when you tap it down and you bury it, it sits there and it, it can't process. And then it stays with you, you carry it. And then you, it manifests in dysfunctional behaviors in relationships and otherwise. So You know, I, I do I, think that's a, a very important thing for yeah. people to to learn to not be afraid of feeling pain. It's okay right. to sit with your pain. Right, right, beautiful. I love that. I do. I sort of uh, anthropomorphize pain and feelings in the sense that when you when you push them down or repress them or avoid them, they're like little little gremlins down in there, and they don't like that. They don't like being dismissed. They don't like being yeah. ignored they will come back to get you. <laughs> right? yeah. So, and very often they come back to get us through physical problems in our bodies. I mean, science is really discovering that lots of physical issues that happen that you would go to your MD for are emotional tied, right? Yeah. Right. So not a GI, right. So being not very emotionally intelligent will affect you physically and it sure will affect you're able, your ability to relate and so forth. So that's one of the muscles in the book is the muscle called your relationship to your feelings, to your emotions. Mm. How emotionally intelligent are you? Now, on the one hand, I believe feminine people are, they come from the factory a little bit more attuned to the emotional realm than do masculine beings. Okay. Probably. But, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they, that they're doing what you just said, that they know how to feel a feeling and let it move through the body and release to completion and how to be with pain, how to, how to, how to, I use a house metaphor, right? You have a front door and a back door on your house, right? So when you're emotionally intelligent, both doors are open. Your front door is open. So feelings can come. You're welcome. It's okay for me to be angry, sad, scared, in pain, lonely. So feelings are welcomed like a friend. Come on in, talk to me. Tell me, tell me about yourself. There's no resistance to it. There's an openness to be with it. Okay. Yes. Yes. And non-judgment, I think is really important too, to have compassion. I'm feeling it. And then the back door's open. Here you go. You can keep going right out the back. Yeah. Done with you now. Thank you you very much. Right. So we normally Either we don't let them in the front door. I don't want to feel that. We avoid it. We distract. We drink. We shop. We gamble. Porn. Whatever. We use all kinds of ways to avoid feeling feelings. I went back on dating sites to find a new woman to avoid all that pain. Okay. Mm -hmm. I wish I had the tools back then that I do now, and I and I wish I had the understanding of what was happening, but I didn't. So I I did what I did. When the but student is ready, the teacher right, appears, right? We can say people with came, that, right? Like you, part of what your, your training needs to be is how to handle emotions and, and how to handle somebody else's emotions, like, especially for guys, but this, this is true for women too, but most men have no idea how to hold space 
for a feminine person when she's in her flow, man, when she's in her emotional, maybe when she's mad at you, <laughs> right? We, we, no one trains us on how do you be with someone's feelings? How do you hold space for that? Not get reactive and defensive or trying to fix them, right? Yes. So I think sometimes just, just witnessing it is all we're asking, right? right. Listening can be right. a huge, that, right. that's but like if 90% I can't witness, of it. If the front door is not open in my life, I don't want it open in yeah, yours. You right. see what I mean? If I can't feel my own feelings, I don't want to feel yours. So you, you stuff them down. Hey, hey, go talk to your girlfriends about that. Or, you yes. know, you should talk to your mother about that. And if you keep doing that, you'll be talking to your divorce attorney about that because you, you know, you get yourself dumped when you can't handle someone's feelings. So this is a huge issue. The ability to, to know how to feel our feelings how to express them in a way that creates harmony and not drama. And then how do I, how do I be a better listener? How do I, how do I handle someone else's feelings in a healthy way to support them and their growth and, and have my way of being with your feelings, increase our intimacy rather than create resentment. And right. These are huge issues. And that's just one of the muscles. (laughs) That's the key to intimacy. I think, and probably part of what we were going to get into is you have to take that risk of being authentic with your feelings Mm. to get to that connection and vulnerability and higher level, but it's scary. And a lot of people, like you said, yeah, don't even want to feel their own feelings, let alone share it. And some people, they don't know, they don't really know what they feel. Okay. Here's an issue that people don't talk about enough. It's very common for little girls to grow up in a household where it's okay for a little girl to be scared and to be sad, but it's not okay to be angry. Yeah. You know, because yeah. oh, you're being a little bitch. You know, yeah, right. So it's that's usually from the male in the household that can't handle anger, right? But very often women disown their anger mm-hmm. and everything comes out as sadness. Oh, you can see a woman talking and sharing. I'm so angry. And she's crying. Like, wait a minute. You don't look angry. You look sad because it's so easy to kind of disown our anger, which makes it difficult for women to set boundaries, to say no, right. To, to sort of enforce love because they've disowned the, the, the fierce part of their femininity. Now guys, a little different. It's okay for little boys to be angry but big boys don't cry and uh, don't be a, don't be a pussy. Right. So it's not okay for little boys to be scared or sad, but it is okay for them to be angry. So very often when men are angry, they're not actually angry. It's the only thing they know how to express. Yeah. So when a man's angry, he might be hurt or he might be scared, but he doesn't have access to that. That was disowned a long time ago. So when you ask someone, what are you feeling? Some people are like, I'm not sure. Or the answer is always anger or always sadness. Very limited. Yeah. Very limited. Right. So we need to learn that the way to discover what you're actually feeling is feelings usually show up in certain parts of the body. Right. So fear, usually that's why we say we have butterflies in our stomach. When you're scared, you're going to feel your stomach tightening and fluttering and swirling around. If you feel that sensation, chances are you're scared. 
if, if there's pressure and heaviness and tension in your chest or your throat, that's the, usually the region of sadness because I've got a broken heart or I'm all choked up, right? Those are the areas where sadness is happening. Anger seems to be in the neck, in the shoulders. That's when you're such a pain in the neck, right? So when we feel tension, right? My wife, she's a certain personality type where she's not comfortable with anger, okay? She's not disowned it, but it's just not comfortable thing. And very often I, I can support her and say, what are you feeling in your body? She'll say, I just feel really tight and crampy in my neck and my jaw. I'm like, are you feeling angry? Because that's where we store that energy is in our fists yeah. and our jaw and our neck, right? So that's part it's of being emotionally intelligent, reading the energies in your, because all, that's all emotion is. Yeah. It's just energy in your body. And it seems to get trapped in these areas and it can help you define what am I really feeling? Now, when I know what I'm really feeling, now I can really communicate that to you because I'm, I'm not going to show you anger when I know that, man, it's all in my belly here. That's not anger, man. You're scared. Now, do I have the guts to look at my wife and say, I'm scared. And that, you know, even as I say that, I can feel like behind me, you're not, you're not being a man. You're not being a man. What, the, what is that? What is that? <laughs> why is this so like, weird is it even true? And why are you oh, thinking that? Right. Yeah. Right. right. Peeling back right. the layers. But so this is just the one muscle yes. out of the seven and, and all the other ones are as huge of an issue as emotional intelligence. Yeah. Uh, what are some of those other ones? Let's touch on okay, those. the other one. that's really juicy. Yeah. What is scary? Uh Oh, <laughs> is your relationship to your past. Yeah. Okay. How you relate to your past is incredibly powerful in how it impacts your current and future relationships. So what I tell people is the only, the only people in the world that don't have baggage are the little babies in the maternity ward. Everybody yeah. else has got it right mm -hmm. to one degree or another. We all have been hurt betrayed, lied to, ghosted, gaslighted. Some of us have had severe trauma in our backgrounds, abuse, addiction, alcoholism, abandonment, right? So we all have a past. We all have pain from the past. That's not the issue. The issue is, is my pain from my past something that happened or is it something that's happening? Is it still alive in me? Because if it's still alive in me, then I am going to be guarded because I don't want to get hurt again. So I'm going to be guarded. I'm going to be a little suspicious. I'm going to have trust issues. I'm going to be like, ooh, you got to prove yourself to me. You've got to earn my trust. See, right there, I'm starting. I'm pushing you away because I'm projecting my past onto you. You're a brand new person. You haven't done anything, but I'm holding you accountable and responsible for what's happened in the past. And so now I'm guarded. I'm suspicious. Or I have a, we put a wall around our heart, right? Walls will keep you safe. They'll keep you single because nobody can get in to hurt you, but nobody can get in to love you either. And I just haven't ever met a guy or a, or a girl that went on a date with a sledgehammer. I'm going to break down somebody's walls today. No, if you're, if you're closed off, if you're protected and guarded, people can feel that energy. 
And I'm going to, I understand that, but I'm going to go to that girl over there. Who's got her arms wide open. Like come play. Let's, let's dance. Like I'm open. If you're an idiot, I'm going to send you down the road. When you've worked through your past and it's something that happened, it's not happening. You begin relationships from a place of, I trust you. I'm wide open until you show me that I shouldn't be. Then we're going to have a problem, but I'm not starting from, I don't trust you. You have to prove yourself to me because I'll feel that, that I'm being held off. I'm, I'll feel that the relationship might go slower than it probably should. I'll feel some resistance there. And I don't know what that is, but it's not attractive. I, I, I'm, I want to be with, with someone who's just open and willing to be in the moment and flow the flow of the chemistry and the compatibility. And let's let this relationship have a, have a life of its own rather than getting in the middle of it and trying to, you know, you've got to earn your, my trust and so forth. So this issue of dealing with your past pain, I cannot say how important it is to do this work. And I'll just use one, just one more golf illustration. (laughs) So there is something called sports psychology. People don't know this, right? I was a professional golfer. I had a teacher and a trainer, but I had a sports psychologist and all of sports psychology, all it is, it's just one thing. How do you approach your next shot or play or point or at bat, whatever the sport is, how do you approach the next event with a clean emotional slate? See, if I'm still thinking about the last terrible shot I hit, I'm going to screw up this one because I'm not really present for this one. I'm reacting to that one or I'm overcompensating for it and so forth, right? So that's the same thing in relationships. You want to meet your next person as if they're the first person that you ever dated. There is no history. I'm not holding you responsible for anything. I'm not suspicious of you. I have a clean emotional slate. Now, it's not easy to work through the pain of being cheated on or betrayed and lied to and all the weird crap that happens in online dating. It can really close your heart. There's a lot of people I talk to, they hate the idea of dating because of the online thing and and they're disappointed in it. They're they're like, I have to do it because I want to meet someone, but I hate it. And so you carry that energy with you. and, And that's not exactly attractive. So, <laughs> no. so, so working through your past and to be able to let it go, it happened, but it's not alive in me. It's not poisoning my relationships. I often say that most relationships are a menage a trois from hell. Okay. It's me and it's you and it's my past. And the three of us are in this together. Okay. So that you don't want, you don't want threesomes, <laughs> right? No. You want twosomes. Like you want just me and you, not, not the baggage, the baggage. We've let that go. We remember it. We don't cut off our brains, but it's not, it's not between us. Don't you think a big part of that is first of all, awareness that you're hanging on to your past or you have something in your past that's weighing you down. That's heavy. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, kind of getting to some sort of forgiveness for whatever it was that happened. And forgiveness is a tough one. In my experience, you can want forgiveness and work towards forgiveness and 
continue to kind of process that and, and get towards that, but it does sort of arrive on its own time and you have to honor that process, whatever it is, you know, you can't really force it if you don't authentically feel it. And part of that, I think almost goes into the family of grief where you have to go through those sadness, anger, you know, like blame and all that kind of stuff. And then finally get to, which is what we were really talking about this whole time, which is finding the lesson, finding the positivity, honoring the good that came out of that relationship or that period in your life or that experience. There was something good there, but sometimes the negative stuff can overshadow it for a period of time. So once you get space and time, and kind of that emotional processing done a little bit, you can get to that place where you can say, you know, my marriage had a lot of good in it. I'm grateful for all the experiences for my kids, for all the things I've learned. It got me here and I'm not going to hang on to all those negative feelings that I had when, you know, I first came out of it. Yeah. Forgiveness is, yeah, you're you're spot on with that. And the only thing I would add to that is that you you can't yeah you can't fake forgiveness. You, you if you don't feel forgiveness, then authentically you don't feel it. You can't fake it. But I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a matter of time. Mm. Um, because there there are processes that you can do. There are there are certain kind of work that what I do with my clients when you're working through letting go in the past when you begin to really see the relationship and you do this kind of work, forgiveness come, it it kind of comes up automatically. It it comes up without you having to force it. And, you know, mostly what keeps forgiveness in the bitterness of it in place is blame. Right. And as long as you're blaming someone for what they did to you, I don't care if that's 10 days ago or 10 years from now, you're still Right. As long as blame continues, forgiveness never comes. Right. So you have to work with the blame issue. And once you work with the blame issue, then forgiveness, it sort of arises all by itself because blame is kind of moving out of the picture. So we're getting into a little bit into the weeds there about what I what I do with the past. But forgiveness is like the third step in the process, mm-hmm. but it's not something you're trying to get yourself to. It's it's like mm you work on and you, you, you look at these certain areas of your life and your relationship, and then that's just the fruit of it. Right. Well, it's kind of what we were talking about at the very beginning is that self-awareness and accountability gets you to forgiveness too, because you realize, you know, the choices that you've made and your role in the whole dynamic of your own life. Right. I mean, it's not all happening to you, right. It's, it's, a part of, of the choices of that you make. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, so we're, we're probably getting close to the end here. And yes. so uh, let else? me tie this off on a bow. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this whole thing about getting yourself in relationship shape and the seven muscles, and you can buy my book if you want to. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, there's six chapters on how to let go of the past. That's the, the feature of the whole book, mm. but I'm talking about these relationship muscles and getting in shape. So here's, and here's a free gift for the people listening. I'm going to give you something, but it's all, it's all ties together. Nice. 
if you went to the gym and you hired a personal trainer, so I want to get in shape. I want to be really healthy and fit and strong and feel some mobility in my body. The first thing a good trainer would do would run you through a bunch of assessments to see where you are now, mm. right? I mean, I know where you, you want to get to. Let me see what I'm working with. Once I know where you are, I can put a program together to get you to where you want to go, Okay. So I know people want this wonderful relationship, connected, intimate relationship. I know that's where you want to go. What am I working with? Like, what's your where current relationship you? fitness yeah. level? Right. Yeah. I want to run you through some assessments and find out what muscles are strong, what muscles are weak, what are we dealing with here? And then I can put a program together to get you where you want to go. So on my website, which is coachingwithroy.com, hopefully that's easy to remember. That's why I'm I did that. Yeah. And we'll have it in the podcast notes. Okay, great. Yeah. On coachingwithroy.com. And you probably even have a link in the show notes. Yes. Is something called the relationship fitness self-assessment test. Okay. So I created a 30 question, true, false test. Take you three, four minutes to take it. That will, that will give you an accurate representation of your current fitness level. Now, everything's extremely confidential. Even I don't see people's results. I get notified they took the test, but I don't, I don't see the results. That only comes to the person that puts their email address in there and they get it sent yeah. to them. And so the algorithms and all the stuff that I don't know about, I had somebody build this for me. You, you take this test and you're going to get put in one of five different categories. Okay. So just to have fun with this, you're either going to be relationally ripped. No one's ever scored that. Okay. That's for Jesus and Buddha and Eckhart Tolle and all those weirdos guys. Like no one's, no one's ripped. Okay. But you're ripped or you're skinny fat or you're overweight or unhealthy, or you're in the lowest category. And I took my own test and I sort of transported myself and answered the questions from that guy that had just hired a coach. You? Yeah. The old me. (laughs) And I was in the lowest level, obviously, right? <laughs> if that would have told me I was skinny fat, like your test is ridiculous because I was a mess. My wife took it from her old man. She was in the lowest category. So I tell people, don't be surprised if the test gives you results that say you need to kind of get in better shape because it just means you're human, right? It's like, yeah. what's wrong with, yeah, I need some, some of my relationship muscles to be stronger. I, I need to let go of my past more. I need to get more emotionally intelligent. We haven't even talked about the communication muscle, how much we reveal versus conceal. Most people play games because they're scared and their their communication gets very manipulative and controlling (laughs) and limited and redacted. And I'm going to tell you the stuff that I want you to know about me, but I'm not going to tell you any stuff that I think might turn you off. So now, you know, I'm just showing you one part of me and you fall in love with that. And then later on, you see all of me like, who are you? Right. That's, <laughs> right. that's why the honeymoon ends is they start to see the entire part. So better to show up real and authentic from the beginning. If you love 100%. me, if you love me, you love me. If you don't fine. Yes. But I don't want to play the game of trying to get you to fall in love with me. Right. By figuring out who do I need to be to appeal to you? And yeah. the ego instinctively does do it. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, I was the king of that, which well, that's <laughs> why I wrote the book. So anyway, take the fitness test, find out where you are 
And then yeah. if you feel so led, I'll set up a coaching program to get you in the shape you need to be and hopefully put an end to the disappointing short-term relationships that we've all experienced. Yeah. Well, that first step of wanting to improve is like half of it. I feel like just having awareness that I'm not where I want to be in this area of life. And I want to make some changes. I mean, that is enormous. The same way at the gym. Yeah. It's not getting in shape is not about the trainer. It's about the trainee. And are you committed to it? (laughs) Like, are you going to come to your workouts? Are you going to eat properly? Oh, we'll get you in shape. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm a good coach. But the, the real transformation is how serious is the person about doing the workouts, yes. you know, doing the inner work. If, if you're serious about it, it, oh, I, yeah. I can get you there yeah. and life is going to be amazing. So anyway, oh, there, there you go. So good. So two questions I like to ask all my guests who come on the show. What books are you reading or listening to now? Of course, we're going to have links to all of your books, especially mm-hmm. the new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, my three books are all around my head. First book, <laughs> second book, uh, first book, second Relationship book. Relationship yeah, boot yeah. camp, attracting lasting love. Yeah. What's the other one? I named my podcast after that. And and the first one is a drink with legs. Remember, I was sharing that that was my insight that I was a relationship addict. Oh, so right. That book is like my memoir. So it's the story of how I went from so much drama to a healthy relationship. So yes. it's hilarious. It's okay. cringeworthy because it's really honest. Um, it'll make you cry to make you laugh. Um, anyway, I love um, it. And we'll have the link to your reading? podcast in the notes too. So yeah. everybody can start listening. Right. I'm, I'm more into listening to podcasts this day than I, these days, okay. I'm reading. but my favorite book, and I read it at least once a year is the book, uh, called the untethered soul by Ooh. Michael. Singer. Okay. I'm a love reading that. junkie, right? I've read thousands of books. Michael Singer's book, The Untethered Soul, is the best book that I've ever read on personal spiritual growth. I find it more more accurate and more easy to read and understand than even Eckhart Tolle stuff. Okay, and Eckhart Tolle, I love. Yeah, I agree. Eckhart Tolle, I I like like one liners, but the reading is very very dense. Yes, he's he's, he's pretty heavy. I mean, he's accurate. He's spot on. He's great, but it can be a little heavier. Yeah. Michael Singer is is it's like he's a guru that doesn't talk in esoteric mystery terms. He's like a regular guy, mm. um, the way he communicates. And so, yeah, the untethered soul is ah, man. If you're going to read one book in your life, don't read mine. Read, read his. That. <laughs> I love that. What about what's what kind of music do you listen to? What's on your playlist? It's more like certain artists that I listen to. I love Bruno Mars. Oh, um, nice. You know, uh, I love some old Santana, things like that. So I'm kind of old school, but I don't listen to that much music. When I'm in the car, I'm listening to sports radio or podcasts. Mm. But I remember, you know, back as, you know, Ted Nugent when I was a kid back in the 70s. <laughs> um, I do like music that you can dance to it, right? I, I even though I, can't dance with a lick. I, I like the way it feels in my body. That just kind of makes me want to move around a little bit, you know? So um, Bruno Mars is good for that. Yeah, right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah it, it. Earth, wind and fire and stuff. So yeah, I'm dating myself very much. Here. I, I don't even, <laughs> I don't, at the Super well, Bowl, I'll tell you, my... year, I, I knew the artist in the Super Bowl, but I, I didn't, I didn't, I'm not that familiar with Eminem and 
it was Snoop Dogg, wasn't it? Yeah, it's not Snoop Dogg. Yeah. 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 Uh, Well, I'll tell you, my 16-year-old son is all these old musicians. He loves Santana, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Like, he's digging up all these really old 70s classic songs on his playlist. So it's fun to to revisit those. So is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to address real quick? We talked about your books, your podcast, your quiz that everybody should take. Well, the only thing that I would say is I offer a free consultation to people. I would never expect someone to sign up for a coaching program without talking to me at length and seeing if we connect. I really like to create a relationship with my clients. When I take on a client, I'm basically saying I'm committing everything within my power to see that your love life is transformed in four months, right? So I want to feel like I'm working with someone that we connect and we're on the same page. So I just encourage people to set up an appointment with me, talk for 30, 45 minutes, no pressure. I don't have to do that. There's no pressure to make any decision. I I don't hard sell anybody. I want to, it's like in a relationship, do you want to pressure someone into dating you? No, don't, don't you, don't you want them to say, I, I want to spend time with you. Right. So that's how I want it to be with my clients. I don't want to pressure someone to be with me. I'm like, here I am. Here's what, how I can bring something to your life. I know I'm going to learn something from you in the process. If you want to date me for four months, you know, my wife is okay with that. Right. So, um, yeah. So I just encourage people to take the fitness test, see what's going on, call me up, talk about it, and maybe I can help. Yeah. Well, I think this is such a nice, open conversation to have, you know, where are you at in your relationships and could you be doing better? What areas could you work on and what are some of the key elements to look at and how to, how to approach that and do that. And you have such a nice, such nice opportunities in the various mediums that you offer. So thank you so much for being on the show. It was so fun. Yeah. Talk to you for hours. You I know like it. We're on the same page. more really questions, nice. but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe another time. So we'll see. Yes, yeah, yeah. love okay. it. Bye bye. Thank you. Thanks for joining today's episode of See the Upside podcast. For more details about today's guest and show notes and links, visit our website at seetheupside.com. You can find us on Instagram at see.theupside and Facebook at See the Upside. If you love today's show, please spread the light by giving us a rating or sharing it with a friend. We appreciate you so much and love sharing the positivity with anyone who could be inspired by it. We're all on a beautiful journey and it's so much more fun doing it together and sharing our stories with each other along the way. Can't wait till next time.